Hello, and welcome to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to join us for tonight's program. And then what I want to do is show you how Zechariah prophesied this would happen, this would happen, this would happen, this would happen. And Zechariah said this 500 years before the event. In the New Testament of the Bible, Jesus, the Messiah, is described as entering the city of Jerusalem on a donkey. Not just a convenient mode of transport, it was actually the fulfilment of a prophecy. Dr Corbett has been exploring the Old Testament book of Zechariah, where the coming of the Messiah was foretold, including what looked like a passing comment at the time, that this coming king will not enter Jerusalem with an army, but alone on a donkey. What do you reckon? An amazing coincidence or was there always a plan? God had a plan all right and you and I are part of it. Let's join Dr. Corbett now to conclude Zechariah's series. Thank you for those who read my pastor's desk this week and I'm going to kind of link it in a little bit this morning. And, and as I said in the, in the email that I sent out to everyone, it was prompted because I'm really disturbed about something and I'm disturbed be, partly because I heard an upper house member recently elected say in parliament uh, uh, two, th- two weeks ago that despite her commitment to Christ, she didn't feel she could bring those commitments, her commitment to Christ into the parliament and impose her Christian values on anyone. And, and I, was, I was just mortified at that. And I'm mortified at that because the argument was because God is more about a God of love than denying people what they want. And again, my my head was just spinning because I remember Samuel came to King Saul when King Saul had been specifically told what to do. And he not only didn't do it, he did the opposite. He actually, you might recall, he was told to slaughter all the sheep and the animals and so on. And there's a reason for that. And there's commentators would suggest that that these animals were a part of pagan sacrifices and sometimes even, now that the children have gone out, even sexual practice, bestiality and things like that. And so the instruction was for them to be slaughtered as well. And, and King Saul didn't do it. And when Samuel came, Samuel said, why didn't you do it? And he said, the people made me. The people made me do it. I just think that's, that's in the Bible to show us that when you're in a position of influence and, dare I say it, power, and your commitment is to God, your commitment is to Christ, the people aren't your primary source of focus, you know. It's still Christ himself. And so I, I want to look at what we're going to look at this morning. I hope to show you that what the prophet Zechariah had to say is so incredibly relevant for today. And while you may have tracked with me in the previous four instalments of this and thought, oh man, boy, here we go again. I hope today you go, oh, that's why we were here, we're going again. Now I get it. I hope you have an aha moment. If you're not someone who reads the Bible in books, and I know some people do the whole, you know, flick the page open, close the eyes and point the finger trick, which can be dangerous because you can read, if, if that's how you do the Bible reading, uh, I want to challenge you not to do it that way 
because the Bible's not meant to be read in bits. It's, it's meant to be read in books and it's meant to be read so that you get the whole flow of thought. And that also relates to books that you might think, what on earth is this about? And it actually is a vital piece of the, what I call the jigsaw puzzle of God's word. And I describe it as a jigsaw puzzle because sometimes people feel like they're picking up these random pieces of a thousand or five thousand piece jigsaw puzzle and they look at it like they look at a verse of scripture and they go, I have no idea what what this is, where it fits, no idea. But when you read the Bible in books, you can get a better sense of it. I want us to appreciate that God has given us his word. We can be really, really confident that the 66 books of the Bible are unique. They are authoritative. They are superintended by God for our good. And while we, we have different translations, they all in as much as the core truth of Christianity, they all say the same thing. And so some people, some people get on a bit of a thing about if it's not the King James, it's not the Bible the Apostle Paul used, then they won't read any modern translation. And um, you know, if you want to have that discussion whether the Apostle Paul used the King James English Bible, I'm happy to have that with you after the service. So I, I want us to get what we're seeing here is actually really, really important. And then a part of what I would like you to do, if you could, because one of the comments made by the recently elected upper house member was that most of her electorate, which we're in, have said they support the, the doctor-assisted suicide bill, which is euphemised as voluntary assisted dying. And again, I'm staggered at that because... According to the census, some 49 to 51% minimum of our electorate claim some Christian allegiance. And if you are a Christian, you recognise that God said, do not murder. And in Victoria, when they introduced their voluntary assisted dying bill, 90% of medical doctors refused to sign up to it. Now that's telling. And I can, I can easily see why that would be the case. Because doctors take an oath to do no harm. And I heard the oncologist from Victoria talk about, well, we give the patient medicine. And I thought, you blighter. Killing someone is not called medicine. It's called poison. It's not medicine when you give poison. And so I've heard people claim, as we have claimed, that palliative care is the best treatment for someone end of life. Now, I've heard people come back and say, oh, yeah, but my grandmother had palliative care and, and she was in terrible discomfort. Well, if that's the case, then we need to fix palliative care, if that's the case, not kill people. So if you are able to send an email to our local upper house member and let her know that we would like her not to support this bill which is voted on this Tuesday. Now, you might be here thinking, that sounds like our pastor's getting political. You bet I am. You bet I am. And it's the politics that helps and preserves life that I'm interested in.
So, we are now looking at the final instalment of Zechariah. I've said to you this is the most cited prophet in the final week of Christ in the New Testament. So that final week of Christ called the Passion, when Christ entered into Jerusalem and they cut the palm branches and they said, Hosanna to the son of David, that's when his passion began. Passion means deep emotion. And then from there to the cross, to the tomb, Zechariah is quoted by the gospel writers more than any other prophet. The book of Revelation cites the book of Zechariah, apart from the book of Ezekiel, more than any other prophet in the Bible, which is amazing because you've got books that have 66 chapters like Isaiah, you've got uh, Jeremiah with 52 chapters, you've got Ezekiel with 52 chapters and, and then you've got Zechariah with only 14. So you've got an amazing richness of content in here about Christ and this is what I want to show you this morning. And then what I want to do is show you how Zechariah prophesied this would happen, this would happen, this would happen, this would happen and Zechariah said this 500 years before the event. And I want to show you the incredible detail that he gave in forecasting Christ. And then what I want to do is I want to show you what he said would happen after that, that is yet to happen. Which means if all of this stuff happened, we have great reason to believe and great confidence that we should have that what Zechariah also said would happen, will happen. And if it will happen, it should change the way we think about the world right now. We should recognise that being a Christian is not a matter of being religious. Being a Christian is not a matter of being weird, although looking at some of you. Anyway, it's a matter of actually being normal because you are designed, created by God to be normally in a relationship with him. And when you are not, something is missing from your life. You are not normal to be disconnected from God and the ache in the human heart when that happens is that we look for anything to fill that gap Augustine who lived in the late fourth century he said all mankind is created with a God-shaped vacuum that only God himself can fill and so when we look to other things apart from God which is called idolatry It leads to emptiness and confusion and hurt and pain. And people try to cover up that pain with a a tablet, with a bottle, with a relationship or with a needle. And it doesn't work. You are created to be in relationship with God. The prophet Zechariah foretold of the one, capital O, the one in whom the whole hopes of Israel rested and he was known as the anointed one. He was known as the Messiah. That is another word for the Christ, the anointed one. That's what it means in Greek, the Christos. He was known, he's called in Zechariah as the branch. And so it says here in Zechariah chapter 6 and verse 12, thus says, the Lord. Now, by the way, Zechariah is a prophet, and prophets often say this, thus says the Lord. You know, they called Jesus a prophet, and he never said that expression. Jesus never said, thus says the Lord. This is what he said I say to you. The prophets spoke on behalf of God, Jesus spoke as God. Hmm. 
That's worth the price of admission just today. Behold, the man, capital M, whose name is the branch, for he shall branch out from his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Now you might think, but Jesus didn't come back in bodily form and put brick upon brick and build the temple in Jerusalem. What on earth are you talking about, Zechariah? But the New Testament says that he did build a temple. It says, built on the foundation, this is what Jesus is building, built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, it says, being joined together grows into a holy what? Apart from Jeanette, let's try that again. Holy what? Temple. The New Testament says Jesus built a temple in the Lord. In him, you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Notice that other term that Paul used to describe Christ. He described Christ as the cornerstone. Zechariah uses that term as well. Zechariah presents the coming Messiah as the true and rightful King of Israel. Now, you've got to get into, into your, your, your historical narrative here that back in that day, 500 BC, that people thought of kings ruling a little patch of dirt, a territory, and if they could go a little bit further, they can conquer other kings, they became an emperor. But it was still pretty minuscule in, in world-scale events. But Zechariah says that the king of Israel will not just be the king of Israel, he will be the king of the whole world. He will rule over the whole world. This coming king will not enter into Jerusalem with an army. He will come riding on a, now fill in the blanks, white stallion dressed in armour on a little donkey. And we read that because we've read it in Christmas cards or we've read it in Easter cards or whatever and we think, oh, isn't that cute? But it's bizarre. The king of the universe comes riding in on a miniature foal. Get the picture. It's a picture of not what the world was expecting. And Jesus isn't what you expect. Behold, Zechariah says, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt, the foal of a donkey, a baby donkey. His rule, get this, will not just be the borders of Israel. His rule shall be from sea to sea. How many seas were they aware of? Not many. Mediterranean. From sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth, he will rule, says the prophet Zechariah. Not just the territorial king over Israel, but the king, the Messiah, the anointed one, the branch, the cornerstone, the Christ, shall rule the world. Zechariah 14.9 says, And the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one, Echad, one in unity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Huh. Was Jesus king? Was he recognised as the king of Israel? Was he recognised as the king of the whole earth? In this exchange, and again I could use this as an example of don't 
be swayed by people's opinions because Pilate is there before Jesus, casting judgment on Jesus. You remember this, the, the first Easter. And they had this conversation. Then Pilate said to him, Pilate was the, the emperor of Rome, Caesar of Rome, his man on the ground in Jerusalem. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king, speaking to Jesus. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. You know, we read that note, well, of course he would say that. I mean, he's God in the flesh. We get that. But isn't that an awesome thing to say? No one ever in the history of mankind ever said that. Everything I say is true. And everyone, no matter what skin colour, no matter what language you speak, no matter when you were born, where you were born, whether you're male or female or confused, if you are someone who holds to the truth, you're on my side. Because everything I'm about is true. Wow. Wow. If you deny that Jesus Christ is the only son of God, the only way to be made right with God, you believe a lie. That's what Jesus is saying. And this long-awaited Messiah that, that we see here in Zechariah, he says, would be betrayed for the price of 30 pieces of silver. Oh, get out. He did not. He did so. And you, you might think, oh, we, what? Show me. All right, I will. Then he said, if it seems good to you, give me my wages. This is a prophecy of Judas Iscariot, who was described in Zechariah as a false shepherd. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver, prophesying of Judas Iscariot and the gospel of Matthew chapter 26 verse 15 says it narrates this it's actually the conversation Judas is having with the with the high priests and the, and the religious leaders and what will you give me if I deliver him Jesus over to you and they paid him 30 pieces of silver exactly as the prophet Zechariah had foretold would happen 500 years before it happened about 522 if you're counting, 522 plus 30, so about 552 years. Upon the arrest of the Messiah, Zechariah says, his disciples would scatter. They would run, they would flee in fear, the prophet Zechariah said, prophesying. And we read, awake, O sword, this is Zechariah 13, 7, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me declares the Lord of hosts. The man at his right hand. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And then Mark records this in Mark 14, 27. It says, and Jesus said to them, all will fall away by me for it is written. For it is written where? In Zechariah. Jesus is now quoting the prophet Zechariah. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will will be scattered. Zechariah, in foretelling of the Messiah that would come riding into Jerusalem, not with an army, but on a young donkey, a foal, that 
he would rule, he would conquer, but not with an army. But before that happens, the people of Jerusalem and Israel would turn on him and he would be, he would be brutalised and executed, Zechariah said. This, this is what the, the Apostle Peter in, in his epistle says, that the prophets of old, speaking of Je- Zechariah, the prophets of old wondered how this could be. How could they prophesy of one who would conquer the world, yet be brutalised and executed by those he came to? How, how is that possible? That he could have such glory but go through such suffering? How is that possible? And Zechariah put it this way, Zechariah 12.10, And I will pour out on the house of David, that's Israel, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, now this is interesting, we've seen here that it's God speaking, God speaking, God speaking. And when they look on me, says God, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. And of course we know the story that Christ was put on the cross and in his final moment, well in fact after he had already died, the, the soldier came and pierced him with a sword, with a spear, sorry. And it says in John 19 verse 37, and again the scripture says, John and John quotes Zechariah, they will look on him whom they have pierced. And again in the closing book of the Bible, quotes Zechariah, behold, it says, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth, speaking of the tribes of Israel, will wail on account of him, even so, amen. But Zechariah also says, that the death of the Messiah would be sufficient to do away with all animal sacrifices and it would atone for all the sins of mankind. No matter what you've done, no matter how many times you've done it, no matter who you've done it with, no matter who knows what you've done, if you have at all experienced guilt, you don't want to carry that beyond the grave and stand before God. You want to deal with it now. And now's your only chance. In this life, it's your only chance to deal with it. And the really good news is, a psych- well, this is the bad news. Psychologists can't help you with it. Doctors can't help you with it. Hypnotherapists can't help you with your guilt. Taking up a hobby can't help you. Getting into a relationship can't help you. Only Jesus Christ can help you deal with your guilt and shame he's the only one and this is how Zechariah prophesied this on that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David that is Israel and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness and a few days after Christ died he met with the disciples and then some days after that he ascended which means he was he translated back into the dimension of eternity. And then a few days after that, 10 to be precise, he poured out what he called, well, what is the Holy Spirit, as we'll see in a moment, living water. 
And that actually happened. It says 3,000 inhabitants of Jerusalem were cleansed of their sin. No animal sacrifice needed, no priest needed. Jesus did it by what he'd already done on that first Easter. And they experienced it. And here's the truth. What they experienced 2,020 or so years ago, you can experience right now in 2020. You can experience right now today. Sins forgiven, cleansed, a clean soul. Christ's death, his resurrection, his ascension, going back to be with his Father and the sending of the Holy Spirit would make living water available. Living water, Jesus said. Believe in me and out of your innermost being or King James says out of your belly will flow rivers of living water. And Zechariah said it in prophecy. Zechariah chapter 14 verse 8. On that day living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. The day the Spirit was poured out in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Half of them to the eastern sea and half of them to the western sea. It shall continue in summer as in winter. In other words, this is a word picture. If it's going as far east as it can go and as far west as it can go, it's going everywhere. It's available to all. It's not a matter of picking a religion like picking a club. It's not a matter of being born in a particular country. It doesn't matter where you're born, who your parents are. It doesn't matter whether you've been religious or not. Right now, you are one prayer away one prayer away from experiencing living water being forgiven having that thing that you know is missing in your soul filled perfectly with Christ Jesus answered this is this beautiful story of Jesus at the at the well with the woman it's a, it's a, if you haven't seen the chosen please get the the chosen app Watch this episode. It's episode eight, season one. They've done it brilliantly. The actor, Jonathan Rumi, who plays Christ, is probably the best portrayal of Christ I've ever seen in my life. And when he did this scene with the woman at the world, the woman who had had five husbands, and the one she was now with was not her husband. And when she comes in the middle of the day because the heat of the day, no one gets water in the heat of the day, right at 12 noon no one does that but she had to because of the shame of her lifestyle the other women wouldn't let her get water with them and there's Jesus waiting for her and as they shot this scene when he he says give me a drink and she says you're a Jew I'm a Samaritan Jews don't ask Samaritans for anything And Jesus says, if you knew who it was who was asking you for a drink, you would ask him to give you living water. And you'd never thirst again. And she says something and he he just stops her in her tracks and says, go and get your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. You know the story. I don't have a husband. And he said, you're right. And in this movie, The Chosen, he names her first husband. Then he names her second husband. Then he names her third husband and names her fourth husband. 
and names her fifth husband. And she just stops and says, Who is this? You must be a prophet. He says, I'm not only the prophet, I'm the Messiah. I am He. And I've come today to you to tell you that your sins are forgiven if you put your trust in me. And as he's sharing that with her in this scene, the actor is overwhelmed with what's just happening. And Jonathan Rooney cries. And the director says, just keep filming. Just keep filming. And it's easy to imagine Jesus with tears of joy taking this woman who's been despised, rejected, treated shamefully, literally shamefully, and offering her forgiveness. And he does the same thing to you today. No matter what you've done, you can be forgiven by Christ. That's all we have time for tonight. For a CD copy or a premium download of tonight's discussion, please pop to our website, findingtruthmatters.org, and select Zechariah Part 5 from our online store. As we've heard tonight, the coming of the Messiah was always part of God's plan. Zechariah prophesied it and it all happened just as God planned. The Messiah's death would be sufficient to atone for the sins of all mankind, which leaves us with some important decision making. That concludes the Zechariah series. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.